You're listening to the Amblecote Community Church Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to our third and final podcast where we're thinking and talking about creation, the Big Bang Theory, and today we're going to talk a little bit about evolution. Uh, In our podcast one, we focused mainly around reading Genesis 1 and 2 because I have such an influence on this whole uh, subject. In podcast two, uh, we went through the Big Bang Theory. And uh, I'm here with David and Andrew again. We've managed to get together again uh, to talk about uh, evolution. And um, it's important, as I've said on the other podcasts, that we don't sort of claim to be experts necessarily in this field, but having all done some reading and uh, study and have a passion really for this topic, we felt that we could help our church family by opening up this subject together. We did that on some evenings together and then we got all of that together and we've put it into uh, these podcasts. So I think one point we want to make at the start of this, well, I'll just make, and I know you said this quite strongly, I think, on the, the, um, the evening, David, which I thought was really good, was that this podcast, but all the podcasts really, are about exploration and also some challenge, that they're not about trying to persuade. We're not trying to say that. Um, so I know David's going to present some uh, views and, and ideas in this podcast. What we're not saying is this is our position as a church family. We're not saying that you have to hold these positions if you're part of our church family. We're not saying that this is our eldership position. Um, We we just want to explore this and hopefully it's helpful for those listening and watching um, to explore this topic more as it has been on the evenings, I think. So I'll pray and then we're mainly with you today, David. Okay. So you're in the hot seat, uh, but I'm sure Andrew will jump in as well. But let's pray. Lord, we just thank you um, that you're with us. We thank you for your word, you know, that just we love, we love your word. We love how you teach us, how you reveal who you are, uh, how you guide us. Um, your word says that you lead us in the paths of righteousness. And we thank you for that, Lord. And we just commit this time to you. Pray that you would open our hearts more so to your word through these discussions and that our love for you would increase. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's begin with you, David. Um, I know that you took some time out to study this topic um, specifically out of your day-to-day job. So tell us, why does this matter to you, David, and why did you take time out to study? Thanks, Tim. Um, thanks for involving me in this, um, both on the Sunday nights and also in these podcasts. Really appreciated. Um, so unlike Andrew, I'm not scientifically trained at all. I like reading science, but it is hard work for me, so I'm not scientifically trained. I'm not theologically trained either. Um, but the reasons I took six months out back in 2010 are really things that we've covered already in our uh, discussions with each other in these podcasts. So science has a highly um, respected position of authority in many people's lives, perhaps particularly young people. It's assumed, as Andrew explored a lot last time, that science and Christian faith are not compatible. Mm -hmm. And so where a choice needs to be made between the two, science is always going to win. Um, And so it can be a genuine barrier to a proper hearing for the Christian faith for some people. Um, 
And I think by us grappling with these issues, including the specific issue of uh, Christian faith and evolution, um, I think we can help to commend Christian faith to people who are in that position and maybe challenge some of those assumptions in a hopefully winsome and helpful and kind way. And secondly, at the same time, hopefully our trust in uh, God and in the Bible can also grow. Uh, and all of that fed into me taking that six months out because at the time my two daughters were 11 and eight years old, roughly. Yeah. And I knew that they were going to encounter this issue in their education. And so I wanted to be in a position to help them to do so and retain confidence in the Bible. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons that we, again, did the evenings. Um, sometimes discussing uh, science, you know, evolution, Big Bang might, for some of us that have grown up in the church, might be challenging to us and might rock our faith a little bit, you know, at times. But we have to remember the dangers of not talking about this and not exploring it and thinking about it well can equally have damaging effects on, um, you know, not just younger Christians, but those that maybe um, have grown up in the culture that we live in today. So um, we're going to talk about evolution. That's our aim today. And you began on the evening with a question, what is the theory of evolution? And I guess, I, I'm guessing the reason you did that is because we all say the theory of evolution, but maybe we don't quite know what that is? Is yeah. that why you posed that That's question? That's why I posed the question. It's a bit like Andrew's question at the start of his session on what is the Big Bang Theory and getting us to put those sort of moments in the Big Bang yeah. in order. We need to know what we're grappling with and to slightly change a quote from uh, the late Tim Keller, it's a mark of love and respect to be able to say to someone when discussing this subject, even if you disagree with their worldview and they disagree with ours, it's a mark of love and respect that you can describe and understand at least to a certain working level, what the theory of evolution is, so that they say, actually, I couldn't have put it better than, my, than you did myself. Yeah. Um, you clearly understand uh, what you're talking about. You've made an effort to understand what you're, what you're saying um, and what I'm saying. Um, and I think we just don't commend the Christian faith to people by making statements that are obviously misguided. Yeah. And, you know, the sort of things like, well, apes don't turn into humans anymore, so evolution can't be true. Anyone who knows anything about the theory of evolution will know that that's just wildly inaccurate. So yeah. it's that kind of reason why I pose the question. Brilliant. Go on then. Some, can you summarise it for us? Well, this is where I have to definitely own my um, lack of scientific training <laughs> and um, uh, pay tribute to David Valance. David, many of you will know, is a member of our church yeah. family. Uh, he's retired now, but he um, held a senior position in our health sector in our borough as a trained scientist. So he uh, checked out what I wrote and made some really helpful <laughs> edits to it. So I'm really grateful to him. Um, really quickly then, Tim, just mm. to lay the ground, I think the first thing to say is it, it's important to note that certainly for the vast majority of peer-reviewed trained scientists, it's not just a theory. People say, oh, it's just one theory of many. That's not my understanding of how yeah. it works. Someone explained to me it's a bit like the theory, a bit like music theory. It's an overarching understanding of mm. the origins of life. Now, some of the details I understand scientists will disagree on, but the fundamental principles, I think, can be laid out roughly like this. Um, first of all, that all life forms have a common ancestry, so they all sort of can be traced back to a common ancestry. Uh, secondly, that um, complex life forms developed from simple life forms. 
And the way they did that, thirdly, was by a process of natural selection. And most of us will have heard, if we've thought yeah. about evolution, the phrase natural selection. And very simply, and boiling it down, I think that has two key ideas. The first is a random mutation of cells. Andrew spoke about randomness in the last session. Um, so random mutation of cells produces genetic changes. Now, most of those changes are not beneficial but a very small number are. And what that means is that members of a species with certain features survive because those features are better suited to the struggle for survival. So that's the first aspect of natural selection. And then the second aspect of natural selection is that organisms can self-reproduce, the idea of self-replication. And so those organisms that have the beneficial variations uh, because they're more likely to survive, are more likely to reproduce and pass that on to okay. uh, future generations. And all of that, um, if you allow enough time, long periods of time, and geographical separation, results not only in microevolution, which is changes within a species, but macroevolution, which is changes um, between species, leading to the vast diversity of life that we have in the world today. And so it does require an old earth. We talked about mm. that in the last um, podcast. Uh, so ancestral species are said to have first appeared around 3.85 billion years uh, ago. We don't observe the changes that I've described because we simply haven't been around long enough. And as I've said, most of the changes are not beneficial. So that's my understanding, roughly speaking, of how the theory of evolution is put together. Um, most of its common features. I think the critical thing to say to finish off the answer to that question, Tim, is that of itself, a bit like the Big Bang Theory, it makes no claim about God and about, um, about faith. So I think that's really important to say as well. Okay. So that's the theory of evolution. I'm just thinking about whether to move on. Let's move on and then we can maybe wrestle a little bit later on. Is that okay? That's fine. Yeah, you, you go with the questions. So... Um, then on the evening, you gave what I think you you called, which I thought was a really good um, idea, to call it a common Christian narrative um, as a sort of alternative way of looking at how life came about. Uh, and I think that's a great way of summarising it because what we don't want to say is, you know, we don't know what people listening to this believe, do we? No. We don't know. And there's multiple things and multiple ways. So what, you know... Tell us why, why you gave a common Christian narrative and why you think that's an, a good alternative way to... So you, what you've said really is the theory of evolution is really, if you're a scientist, you're going to have variations on different parts of it. But overall, that's fact. Those are the common... That's the common structure that yeah, I yeah. just described, yeah. So an alternative would be a common Christian narrative. Why did you choose those terms? And Maybe not quite in the way that you've just said about it tim really i think the reason i chose it was a bit of that but i think the reason i asked that question was because the common christian narrative is a commonly held belief in our stream of church okay i can only comment on our yeah. stream of church really i haven't you know grown up in, in any other type of church um equally important to say as you said at the start it, i didn't want to expose this narrative in the yeah. sense of trying to persuade people out of it not trying to persuade people into it um but because it's so well embedded and so common, it's what I grew up with as, yeah. a, as a narrative, not just of beginnings, but even going beyond beginnings, um, is just really encourage us to think about it, to pause over it and say, actually, 
um, not from a scientific standpoint, actually, but from uh, the standpoint of examining what the Bible says. And if you, as you've said in the previous podcast, we hold a high respect for the Bible. Um, does the narrative match up? So that was really okay. the reason. Go through the narrative for us then. Okay, so um, you could describe this as young earth creationism or biblical literalism um, became widespread in the USA and the UK in the late 19th century and then went some, through something of a revival in the early 20th century, probably as a reaction to yeah. um, the sort of common publication of the theory of evolution. So it, it kind of is really what you were saying, Tim, a reaction to that. And I think it's held a dominant part in a dominant place in large parts of the Western church, perhaps more in the US than here. But it yeah. basically goes like this. So um, number one, God created all life directly. Um, so um, the earth and everything in it, all creatures were created in mature form. They didn't develop, they were created in mature form. Secondly, that God has part of that, especially and directly created the first man, Adam, from the dust and the first woman, Eve, from Adam's rib, and that those are not metaphors, but had we been there recording it, that is what we would have uh, seen. Thirdly, and again, you guys touched on this in the previous podcast, um, given the various genealogies in the Bible, that happened between 4,000 and 10,000 years ago. The next point is really important, that Adam and Eve were the first human beings bearing God's image, and they were utterly perfect. And not only were they utterly perfect, they were in an utterly perfect uh, environment, a perfect world free of pain, and uh, free of suffering and death, and some would say free of pain. And the idea was, um, God's intention was that they would live forever in that blissful state, in perfect relationship with him, perfect relationship with, with each other, perfect relationship with the world. But then we get to Genesis 3, yeah. and deceived by the serpent, they disobeyed God and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And again, this view would say that that was literally a tree from which they ate literal fruit. Um, and that is something that the Bible calls sin, and we haven't got time to unpack that, but essentially a declaration of independence from God. And as a result of that, their relationship with God, with each other, with the world was... Uh, fractured and spoiled, and eventually they physically died. And crucially, this narrative says that would not have happened. They would not have physically died had they not um, disobeyed God. And then two final points to the jigsaw puzzle that comprise this, comprises this common narrative. Um, the first is all the people that have ever lived are, um, including the three of us, are genetically descended from Adam and Eve, and thus we inherit their sin. Um, and because of that, we too, that's an explanation of why we too one day will physically die. And then the final piece of the jigsaw is that this is what Jesus himself believed, as did Paul, one of the crucial early Christian leaders. So that's a canter through it. You can say if you don't think I've given it a fair description, oh. but that's what I would say is a, a hopefully a fair explanation of a common Christian narrative. I, I think that's fair. I think that's yeah, what... Yeah, it's a good representation of the that's certainly, I think, what I was taught, certainly, and, and believed. So um, the critical thing here is we're going to look at this, but that we want to hold that high view of Scripture. Yeah. So, you know, when we come to this narrative, we can't, if we're going to hold, hold a high view of Scripture, we can't just assume all of that to be true without investigating from Scripture whether that's right. So 
what you then did on the evening was give us some Bible verses to kind of have a little play at looking at whether that is what the Bible says. Yeah. And part of my motivation for doing that was um, to say we have to face the fact that I think Andrew again touched on this last time that the theory of evolution as I've tried to describe it and that common narrative clearly don't meet in a number of important respects. That wasn't the main reason. I'll come to the main reason in a moment. But is it worthwhile just flagging up where those two narratives do clash? Yeah, and Andrew highlighted yeah. one, which was, <clears throat> which is around the age of the uh, Earth. So I won't go into that again. But it clashes in a number of respects. You've got um, the common narrative saying there was a mature creation, whereas the theory of, theory of evolution says that life developed from simple to complex. Yeah. You've got God directly and specifically creating all life forms, whereas the theory of evolution says actually they developed and emerged by random mutation and self-replication. We've touched, touched on the creation of humankind about 4,000 yeah. to 10,000 years ago on the one narrative. Evolution says no, several million or at least hundreds of thousands of years ago. You've got the narrative saying that humankind was... Um, born into, created into uh, a world free of suffering and death, possibly even free of pain. Whereas the theory of evolution says actually no, humanity emerged into a world that was already marked by death and suffering. Um, and then you've got the issue around um, whether all human beings are descended from this one couple, yeah. Adam and Eve, whereas not all but many who hold to the theory of evolution, many scientists would say that there were several thousand original uh, human beings. So picking up on a point I think you raised last time, or maybe even at the beginning of this podcast, Tim, that should send us back to the scriptures yeah. just to say, okay, are we reading it faithfully? Not that we're driven by a current theory of scientific, a current scientific theory of origins, but have we read scripture faithfully? And that was really the main purpose of doing that exercise of taking us to some Bible verses to say, even if we put aside the theory of evolution for the moment, does this narrative match what we read in in scripture and so um yeah shall i go through some of those should we is do that, that helpful? Yeah, yeah i've got my bible yeah so do you want to take us through a so few? i won't take them take us through all of them no, that of we course. looked at on the night because of time obviously but um i'll pick three if i may yeah. uh, and the first one is to do with the age of the earth so um if we look at genesis 1 verses 1 to 3 I'll just read those verses. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. So the point that I was really trying to draw out on the evening, um, I hope it came out, was that... Um, Genesis 1 doesn't necessarily entail a young earth, um, because even if you read it as an actual description of what we would have seen had we been standing there, and we've talked in these two podcasts about a different way of reading it, but even if you take a literalist view of the text, um, I think it's very arguable that we don't have a clue as to the age of the earth necessarily from the text, because verses 1 and 2 describe the existence of the earth before God does the work that is described from verse 3 mm. onwards. And so there could be a huge time scale before verse 3. And I think, Andrew, I'm right in saying that's possibly what Seilhamer 
would conclude. Yeah, you mentioned him in the last podcast. So um, that's one way in which we just, I'm not saying the common narrative is wrong, but we just need to pause over the common narrative and say, actually, does scripture necessarily entail us taking a young earth view? I think the other that people, the, the second one that people found perhaps a little more interesting and maybe more challenging for some was the idea of um, were Adam and Eve created into a perfect world, the one that was free of suffering, free of death, and on some versions of the narrative, free of pain. And I think there are a number of verses that I think on a faithful reading, even within Genesis 1 to 3 itself, which would lead us to conclude otherwise. So if we glance at chapter 2, verse 17, Genesis 2, verse 17. Um, Ah, yeah, this is the command of God to Adam about not eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the reason he gives is, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so the simple question we have to ask is, how would Adam have known the force of that command and what disobedience to it would mean um, if he had uh, no understanding of what death was, if death was completely uh, absent from the world? And we can extend that to the same um, Uh, point in the dialogue between Eve and the serpent in chapter 3 verses 1 to 6. I won't read that for the sake of time, but when he tempts her to eat of that tree and to doubt that what God has said is true, she too seems to understand something of what death is. And so that is suggestive at least that there must have been death of some description uh, in the world that they inhabited. Another text that's important on this um, subject is at the end of chapter 3 or towards the end. This is after they have disobeyed God. Um, And I think it is in verse 16. Um, God says to Eve, I will surely multiply or increase, uh, in some translations, your pain in childbearing. So that very obviously can only make sense if she knew what pain was, if her pain was to be increased. And of course, the reality is that a world without any pain is unimaginable and probably uninhabitable. You could argue, going back to chapter one, that the blessing that God gave of eating all, um, that humankind could eat all green plants for food, that entails the death of the plants. That sounds like a a trite or trivial or facetious point. It's not meant to be. I think it's there in the text. But most importantly of all, right at the end of um, Genesis 3, Um, often forgotten is verse 22 after God um, this is when God is expelling them from the garden of Eden and he says behold the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat forever therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden So the clear implication of that verse is that they could only have lived forever by eating of the tree of life. Um, They were not forbidden from doing so. We know that. That wasn't one of the forbidden trees. But the obvious implication is that as created, they would not have lived uh, forever. So I'll pause there, Tim. But I think those are two areas in which we can say, let's just pause over the common narrative and say, is it faithful to the scripture that we hold with such reverence. I think it's really helpful, Dave, and I think there was other examples on the night where they, that um, 
we went through, um, yeah, I won't quote them, so I'll probably misquote them, but I think that we're really helpful in going, at least making us stop. And I think that is what we're saying in this, isn't it? It's not that if you hold that common Christian view, we're not saying, well, you're wrong, and we want to try and prove you're wrong. But we have to say that actually science and culture, as it always does, it will challenge us. And that doesn't mean that we drop what we believe and we go and believe. You know, that's the, the danger with culture, isn't it? Is that we just drop what we believe and we, we get sucked up into culture. But what it should do is push us back to the scriptures and say, actually, what of this view, what of this view is what the Bible teaches and what God says and, and what of it is things that we've just assumed. Yeah. And I think I think it was really helpful that exercise that I think there's a few points that I went, oh yeah, of course. Of course, you know, of course, you know, there's, um, you know, it's interesting that he, he sort of, the work becomes really difficult, you know, there's work before, but the work becomes, you know, increases, doesn't it? Yeah. So that does suggest if you use that, you know, that actually the pain, you know, is, is there pain there before? Mm. Okay. Okay. So we need to re-examine at what we believe about the creation of the world and go back to the scriptures and maybe it calls into question some of that narrative. So what you did then on the evening was go through an explanation of what's been called theistic evolution. Yeah. Um, as maybe another view. Yeah. Uh, or it's not quite another view, is it? Because we didn't quite say that the theory of evolution was one view and this is another view we didn't quite do that but this is one way of maybe a, a, a road somebody could think about taking yeah. but again you you talked about it not necessarily saying that this is the only view or this is what you should believe but more this is how some people kind of reconcile um scripture so tell us a bit about that what's your your understanding of theistic evolution and yeah so it's uh, again not not advocating it i think as you say it's one way of um reconciling i'm not not advocating yeah, it either. Yeah, it's one yeah. way of reconciling the theory of evolution and christian faith it's known by different titles um but just for ease i'm calling it theistic evolution but the the really interesting thing about it is that it's advocated by serious christians who take the bible as supreme in its authority in terms of belief and conduct, the way that we would seek to in our yeah. church family. Um, but the other reason I wanted to touch on it, though, is that it's also controversial, and I recognize that, so it's important yeah, to yeah. understand it. So the first thing to say is it's not materialistic evolution, so the notion that human beings are purposeless accidents um, with no real significance and no life beyond our 70 years, or shorter if you're unlucky, or lucky depending on whether you're randomly in a good um, position in life or a bad position in life. Um, that's not theistic evolution. Um, so I think it can basically be summarized in five statements, again, trying to do my best to explain it well. So it would start from the uh, conviction, number one, that it was God through Christ who initiated life. So he is the creator of matter and what we would call natural laws. Secondly, once life had begun, it was natural selection, as I described earlier, that led to the diversity that we see in the world and in the universe today over long periods of time without the need for divine intervention um, in that development. 
Um, which thirdly means that God has endowed nature, natural processes, whatever you want to call it, or them, with a certain freedom, though he does, this comes back to Andrew's point in the last podcast, he does supervise its overall trajectory um, by sustaining the natural processes. So if God withdrew, (laughs) that wouldn't have happened. Um, And then the fourth tenet of theistic evolution, or most variations of it, is that there were various pre-human creatures Um, We can call them hominids just for ease of reference. Some may not have heard of that term, but just think of them as not quite human, pre-humans. And at some point in history, God gifted them his image and so gave rise to uh, man and woman made in his likeness, as we know today. And then finally, some theistic evolutionists hold that all of humanity descended from that couple. Some um, don't. Some say that there were multiple original couples to whom God gifted yeah. his image. So, again, what you're doing really is broad stroking this kind of theistic evolution. Within that, there'd be numbers of different beliefs and number of different thoughts. Um, yeah, I, I still find that the pre-human beings really hard to get my head around. I mean, I know the science is there. Um Clearly, you know, you can go into any museum, can't you, really, and, and sort of um, see examples. But that messes with my <laughs> Does it mess with your head? So are you guys totally kind of fine? Yeah, I mean, a little bit. I mean, don't you've probably read a bit more about this, David, than I have. But what, what level of distinction would people say is between those, those pre-human hominids and, and, the, and Adam and Eve, say, you know, you could visualize one as being a caveman bashing each other over the head and Adam and Eve being quite sophisticated but yeah i think yeah i'm 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 definitely no expert on this but i think some um of what i've read of what some theistic evolutionists would say is that um hominids had developed to a point where there was the there were the beginnings of um an understanding of morality right and wrong um certainly a beginning of understanding of what it means to love a fellow human, all of those kinds of, um, a fellow hominid, I suppose I should have said, all of those kinds of things. Um, but it, it, the, what is crucial, I mean, there's a long discussion, isn't there, potentially available to us about what the image of God means. Yeah. Um, is that the capacity for rational thought? Is it capacity to choose between right and wrong is it fundamentally the capacity to know god certainly taking that last mm. um idea um the idea of being able to personally relate to the creator i think the theistic evolutionists would say that, that was a crucial difference that when you're endowed with the image of god as a gift from him then you're able to enter into that um conscious personal relationship with him all of creation is in relationship with him of course but these people endowed with his image in a different way. Okay. So our response to theistic evolution, then what might, how might we, um, you know, some questions we might consider. If that theory is presented to us, what yeah. might we want to consider, think about? Yeah, so I think we have to think about it and not yeah. just go, oh, that sounds great, I'll, I'll go with that. I think you've got to read, read around it, think about it, ask some difficult questions. Yeah. Um, I think um, not all of the questions are capable of easy answer, but um, I think they are um, perhaps less um, 
sort of biblical particularly and more theological and doctrinal. What do you um, mean by that? So, for example, um, when I say they're less biblical, I suppose what I mean is it's less of a question of can that view fit with Genesis 1 to 3? Because as we've explored at length in these podcasts, um, the answer to that is, well, it depends how you're reading yeah. Genesis 1 to 3. I think other than a literalist approach, there's no conflict between Genesis and the theory of evolution and therefore no conflict between Genesis and theistic evolution, yeah. uh, it seems to me. Um, because those other views don't require us to take Genesis 1 to 3 as a sign or Genesis 1 and 2 as a scientific, timeless scientific account of material origins. But what I mean by more theological, doctrinal, I guess you might even say philosophical questions, though I'm not really qualified to speak about those so much, but um, it's questions like these. Does theistic evolution, is that, a, is that, minim, is that Christians minimising the uniqueness of humanity? kind of Andrew's question in a way what's the difference mm. if there's common ancestry and if there's just if if humans emerge by random mutations or albeit with this special gift from God does it mean that we're just part of creation uh, rather than a special part of it and are we just an accidental uh, part of it um and I think the, the answer that theistic evolutionists would give is that biologically we are um we share common yeah. ancestry and we're you know share we share uh, uh, an awful lot with other creatures and with other, other organisms but it's only humankind that bears the image of god as i said that's a long discussion about what the image of god um, means but the potential for a relationship with him is gifted only to humankind i think there are some biblical questions around whether you can square theistic evolution with what paul and jesus spoke about so i, I could potentially go into that um, but there's also the question around um, what about um, the place of um, suffering and uh, pain in um, creation um, if suffering and death was in the world before humanity um, sinned, technically known as pre-fall predation in the, in the writings um, of theistic evolutionists. Um, does that present us with a theological difficulty? So it's those kinds of questions. There are some biblical questions like Genesis, as I've just described. We've got to think about that. We've got to think about what Jesus and Paul said. We've also got to think through those broader theological and doctrinal questions. And you've got to think through those if what you're saying is if you're kind of thinking that maybe this is what you believe. Yeah. Um, holding that high view of scripture, but recognizing the scientific developments of evolution and that you've kind of got to wrestle with some of those things and exactly. work out how's that square then? So for I won't give an answer to this. Yeah. We talked about, we did give an answer to this on the evening, but just for the sake of time, for example, in Matthew 19, when Jesus is talking about divorce and he references, he doesn't name them, but he quotes from the Genesis accounts. You've got to think about, does that mean that Jesus believed there was one original human couple called Adam and Eve who actually lived um, in history, in time and space, is that necessary? Because obviously the, we don't exalt the words of Jesus necessarily about other, over above other words of Scripture, yeah. but the words of Jesus we take incredibly seriously. So we have to think that through. Paul also in Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15 refers to Adam. Yeah. So you've got to work out, does that require Paul to have believed in a literal time and space person? And I think that's 
probably some of my wrestle with this is around Paul's theology. Yeah, I think it's more Paul than Jesus, than I Jesus. would argue. Um, and how critical Adam is to some of that theology and working through what does that mean then for um, there being a literal Adam and a literal Eve and all that that means for salvation theology and sin theology and all of that. So it does actually, right, when you said it points more to theology than biblical references necessarily, it's actually, well, what does this mean for some really big picture stuff and that some really things matters. that we really take seriously. Don't yeah, we? yeah. Um, I'm a little bit worried. We're just going to leave people in a bit of a. Oh no! What do I believe? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm happy to dive into one or two of those issues if you think we've got time and yeah, it helps. But equ- equally not. I mean, yeah. What do you think? Um, or got... I'm happy just to say, look, if anyone wants to talk to me yeah, about yeah, it, yeah. not that I'm someone with all the answers, but. Yeah. I did some thinking about those passages in particular and some reading of a guy called William Lane Craig, who's very helpful on this. So I'm happy to talk to people about that. Maybe that's one way forward. Okay. But equally, I'm happy to talk about it now, but you're in charge. We do one. Yeah, we could do one. Go on. So give it, because what it would be, I think why this is helpful is because someone listening to this might say, okay, I get that. You know, maybe I held, maybe it's exactly that common Christian view. Maybe it's a slightly altered, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I have always really wrestled with evolution and maybe for some, I'm sure, I'm sure there's people who've read loads on this, but there will be some who have just kind of pushed it to one side and now is thinking, oh, okay, this theistic evolution might. So how might they go about wrestling with some of this if you're going to take one of those? Okay, so I'll quickly take two. That's cheeky of me, but I'll take two just to quickly contrast them. So Jesus speaks about Adam and Eve without naming them, as I said, in Matthew 19. He's talking about divorce. So he's not talking about creation, but he's talking about divorce. But he goes back to the original creation story to emphasize the importance and sacredness of marriage. Um, It seems to me that um, Jesus could have spoken uh, about that passage back in Genesis and made his forceful point about the sacredness of marriage and the seriousness of divorce, whether or not Genesis 1 to 3 was literal history, because it was such um, a vital narrative in the Jewish con- consciousness. Um, it was part of their cultural heritage, if you like, um, that they were in no doubt that God instituted marriage and that it was sacred. Um, regardless of whether um, it was literal history, that there was a literal Adam and a literal Eve. So what I would argue is that on a careful reading of Matthew 19, it doesn't necessarily require Genesis 1 to 3 to be an an historical narrative as we would describe a historical narrative now. For myself, and not everyone has to reach my conclusions, I reach a different conclusion when I come to Paul in Romans 5. Okay. So that's the famous passage where we've not, we're not got time to read it, but he basically talks about how sin came to everyone through one man and life uh, through one man's sin. Yeah. That's obviously Adam. Yeah. And life comes to all men or people through one man's righteousness. And that's obviously talking about Jesus. So the contrast in Romans 5 is between Adam and Jesus. So focusing on Adam, because Paul makes the universal claim that sin came to all people through one man's sin, and therefore that is affecting all people that were alive in Paul's day, and if we take a high view of scripture, all people that are alive now, 
I think it's more difficult to say, well, it doesn't matter whether he's talking about a real Adam okay. or not, because it's something that he insists has actual real time and space consequences yeah. for real time and space people thousands of years after Adam, and obviously for us even longer after Adam. So I think Paul is speaking of a real person called Adam yeah. in that context. And I think it's also the same in 1 Corinthians 15, which I haven't got time to read. So you have to um, then um, wrestle with what that means for compatibility of theistic evolution, which posits multiple um, original couples, um, as opposed to theistic evolution that would hold to a, a one original uh, That's couple. really helpful. And I think um, just to make one point, maybe I'm going back a little bit, but um, when you talk about a literal reading, just to emphasize, you used an example of like, um, if we had, if we could have a video camera and it was videoing the scene of Genesis 1 and 2, I think that's kind of what you're referring as literal, aren't you? Not, you know, because sometimes when you say literal, people say, oh, so you don't believe it's true. Yeah. We believe that Genesis 1 and 2 is true. Yeah. Um, and you need to listen to podcast one to kind of get that. But a literalist reading would be that kind of video camera, like, you know, which has loads of problems with it, with that view, doesn't it, with scripture and, and the way that scripture works. But that's kind of what you're referencing I think there. I think that's that right. I think, I think what, but what I think I'm saying is probably a bit more than that in relation to Romans 5. I'm thinking yeah. that Romans 5 necessitates that there was at some point in space and time, whether he was the original human being yeah. or whether he was, as theistic evolutionists would say, the first post-hominid gifted with the image of God... That's another discussion, but I think Paul believes. Yeah. Therefore, I think probably my conviction at the moment, though I'm open to be persuaded otherwise, we're required to believe that there was that person in history yeah, yeah. called Adam. That's what I'm also meaning by literal in that particular right. context. That's really helpful. Um, any other problems with theistic evolution you want to emphasize? Or I think those are enough questions probably okay. to be getting That's on with. Fine. <laughs> um, Andrew but I think Day it's a respect. I think, well, sorry, Tim, I think no, I want to say it is, there are questions that have to be asked, but I want to emphasize what I said right at the start of explaining it. This is a view that is held by serious Christians yeah, yeah. with yeah. a really reverential view towards the Bible. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we can't just dismiss it because it has some difficult questions. Brilliant. Yeah, sorry, Tim. That's no, okay. Kind of maybe to finish then, we can talk a little bit about, um, I don't know if you want to talk about where you land or where you kind of, how you kind of feel about this, your own personal. I mean, you've, you've been a bit open with that, David, haven't you, in terms of your journey with this. Andrew, I don't know if you want to kind of share a bit. Yeah, I, mean, I don't, don't want to say too much. I don't want to, novice want to influence people towards yeah, yeah. a particular view, but um, I, I think that... For me, there were stages of my journey uh, and there was almost, um, there, there was a resting point when I got as far as realizing that the, the people who hold these interpretations are holding a very high view of scripture. And I think what's really beautiful about your approach, David, is that it, it's very clear that you hold a high view of scripture. Often when people hold um, maybe a very literalist interpretation there there's quite a knee-jerk reaction against this kind of thinking and what's what's unsettling for people of that mentality is that 
they hold a high view of scripture too. Yeah. And they're worried that that's being undermined. But I think that David, your approach should do a lot to help people get to that first base camp, maybe is a good analogy, um, where, where they can be a bit more open to exploring these things. And I think that's really consistent in that taking the view that we have, if you take looking at Genesis as opposed to what you've just gone through with Paul, I think it's encouraging to come out with two different outcomes there. Genesis being um, more of an ancient cosmology, um, theological emphasis, although being history in the sense that they would have understood, science, sorry, science and history in the sense that they understood it to be. However, leaves a fair bit of room for a lot of the things we've been talking about. However, the same sort of rigorous approach to scripture with Paul leads you to the point of going, I don't think this leaves a lot of room for interpretation. You know, as you say, we're open to um, to that being challenged. Um, I've recently read a book that pushed a little bit in the direction of um, sort of Adam, you know, being more humankind and mm. not quite co- not convinced, but I could, I could see that, you know. Um, but actually comes out with a, a, a literal Adam and Eve. The same approach comes out with two, what might be interpreted as two different outcomes. Mm. Any reflections from you, David, on... I mean, you, you've probably done some reading. You've come to a sort of settled position, if not a finalised position, but a settled kind of place of where you're at. Has that been helpful for you and your journey? Yeah, I think so. I think it gives me quiet confidence. Yeah. Um, yeah, quiet confidence to be able to talk about this issue, not just with other people of Christian faith, but with those who, to go back right to where I started, might have some interest in or respect for the Christian faith or have questions about the Christian faith, but are either dismissing it because they perceive science, including the theory of evolution, as being in irreconcilable conflict with it or for other similar reasons. So it gives me a quiet confidence just if the the conversation develops to be able to Mm. just throw some things in and just say, look, I haven't got all the answers and I'll be open about that, but here are some thoughts. But it's not just... That's not just born out of this session. It's born out of the ground that you laid in the first session, reading Genesis 1 uh, to 2 in particular, reading that well. Um, And uh, yeah, Andrew's session, not making the assumptions that we have to lay either science or scripture on one side, but actually we can not have all the answers, but we can faithfully, with open palms, hold the two together. Fantastic. And I imagine for some, this may be the end of their journey of exploring this. We might have put them off. Put them off. <laughs> um, but for others, they will actually, God might be drawing them to wrestle with this further, as he has with particularly both of you two. Yeah. And David, you've got some books you, you'd be able to recommend yeah, for those. Yeah, yeah, they're just there. Um, so these, this is not an exhaustive list, but um, uh, I flagged these up on the evening um, there's C. John Collins, Did Adam and Eve Really Exist, written in 2011. Um, much more recently, I've already mentioned him. It's a long book and the science bit is really ta- challenging, I'll be honest. Um, but it's an excellent book by William Lane Craig called In Quest of the Historical Adam. Um, then to be fair and balanced, there is then uh, also a very recent book, 2022, edited by Wayne Grudem, for whom I have great respect. 
Uh, it's called A Biblical Case Against Theistic Evolution. So if you're going to explore this um, uh, idea, if it's new or uh, to you or something you want to explore further, then you should read The Counterpoint. Yeah, yeah. So read that book. Similar book, but a bit older. Norman Nevin, Should Christians Embrace Evolution? John Walton, The Lost World of Adam and Eve. John Walton has been so helpful for me Very in this helpful. whole area. Someone in the church family, possibly even watching this podcast, has got my copy of that book. I can't remember who <laughs> it is, but yeah. you may know who you are. So maybe at some point I can have it back. And then Keith Ward, The Big Questions in Science and Religion, which is a bit more of a f- philosophical type book. So there's plenty of stuff out there. The Biologos website mm. is also worth looking at. There's an endless amount of resource on there. That is a group of Christians that hold the theistic evolution view, and they explore biblical and scientific topics in huge amounts of detail in a far more uh, well-informed way than I can. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity. I hope it's been helpful. It's been great. Thank you both for your time and dedication in preparing this. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, We really pray that this um, will maybe start a bit of a journey, a bit of a, um, uh, uh, yeah, journey is the best word, into um, what God might want to say to you in the area of creation and pray that these resources will help you on that journey as God draws you closer to him. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Amblecote Community Church. For more information about who we are, what we believe, and how you can get involved, check out our website, amblecotecc.org.uk.